In this episode of Boss Files, Academy Award-winning actress and activist Patricia Arquette. You'll certainly remember her 2015 Oscar speech about the gender pay gap and calling for true equality for women. Well, today she is keeping up that fight. We explore that, and she opens up about her struggle as a young single mother living paycheck to paycheck. A candid conversation with Patricia Arquette. Patricia Arquette, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. I've read many of your comments. I've watched them as a, as a woman and, a, and a, a new mom, sort of figuring it all out. Uh, your work has certainly meant a lot to me to watch. So thank you for what you've done for women across the board, first and foremost. Well, thank you. And I'm so grateful for all of the great activists. I mean, people have been working on this for, for decades, for generations. And I'm just hoping that together we can all do what we need to so that we finally have equal pay for women. You're here in New York because you are part of the UN Summit on Women, the status of women, women and equality. Your focus, what you're speaking about, equal pay for women. How did this become your cause? Why is this what you champion? Well, now we have about half of the households in America are headed by female breadwinners. We have one in five hungry kids in America. And... um, When we look at equal pay, we see the highest educated women have the biggest pay gap with men and also the lowest paid workers, which are women. So it's the glass ceiling, sticky floor um, analogy that they use. One of the things that we could really do to make a difference in women's lives for the lowest earning women is to make sure that there's really a solid, real living wage. At the Oscars in 2015, you won for Boyhood. Congratulations. And you you took that moment when the eyes of the world were on you to say this. It's our time to have wage equality once and for all and equal rights for women in the United States of America. You could have said anything in that moment. Why did you say that? And what path has it set you on as an activist? Well... I think that character was really reminding me a lot of my mom and her her journey. It was based on Richard Linklater's, our director's mother, Mm -hmm. and his relationship with her. And so here's this woman who's really the primary caretaker and the primary breadwinner for her kids, trying to put herself through school and raising them, maybe subconsciously making not the best choices in relationships because of the stability that comes along the supposed economic stability that comes along with those relationships. Um, So I really looked at this woman, and I think I was winning that award because a lot of people recognize that woman. And she's somebody we don't get to see in movies a lot. She's somebody we see in the world. And it's a hard life for women like that. So I wanted to make a call out to them. I mean, even my own mom, she was married to my dad for... 30 years, and at a certain point they were talking about getting a divorce, but she already had cancer by that point. And she said, you know, if we get a divorce, within six months I'll be dropped from his insurance, even though I've spent this whole life with him, and I won't be able to get insurance because I'll have a pre-existing condition. So someone who's put their life into this partnership can suddenly become invisible and valueless in the world. 
When you said those words, the camera panned to the audience at the Oscars, and you see Meryl Streep standing up yelling, yes, yes, and Jennifer Lopez right by her side doing the same. You've said that you went backstage and you almost fainted. Yeah, I did. I mean, it was a pretty terrifying blur of the whole thing. It was a very strange, the amount of adrenaline that goes through your body, I can't even explain it. Uh, it's similar, really, to I gave birth to my daughter at home, and I woke up uh, that night, and I was shaking, and my teeth were chattering, just from your body kind of dealing with all of the adrenaline and hormones that go through your body. It was very similar. It was like a... But did you feel like you'd release to the world, truly the world, finally what had been in your heart and on your mind? And you'd talked about it in the past, but this was the biggest platform you've done it on. Because, and at the Oscars, you're sort of encouraged not to be political, you've said, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. you, you towed that line. Yeah, but I, I felt like, well, I was never somebody that felt like I needed accolade for, for my own self, accolades. Um, so why not do something good with it? Yeah. If you have an opportunity, why keep that as your own thing? I mean, certainly you've earned something for your work, but if you can help the world, why not help the world? You have said, though, I've read in past interviews, and it struck me that if you could go back and do it again, you might say it a little differently. Why? Well, I don't, there's been a lot of confusion, I think, about it. First of all, a lot of people think that I was talking about actresses being paid more. Right. Um, but, like, when I say it's time for women, you know, to have equal pay and equal rights, I'm certainly not talking about actresses. I mean, I, I think all people should get paid the same. It's in 98% of all industries. Um, I don't think there should be a gender or race tax that people are play, paying, and certainly men of color are also paying that mm -hmm. uh, subconscious, you know. So when I heard it, I didn't, I didn't read it that way. I, I, I subsequently read some of the criticism you got, mm -hmm. and we'll get into that in a minute, but I felt like it was for all women across the board, from the minimum wage worker all the way up. But do talk to me about what it's like as an actress, as a Hollywood star, as a highly compensated woman. Um, your message, who it was for, and how it can be applied across the board for women who make very average wages or minimum wage. Well, I mean, it's 98% of all industries. And again, I mean, the people that are most negatively impacted by a pathetically low minimum wage are women. Um, it goes across the board, whether you're the highest educated woman or you have the lowest paying job, because you drop out of school and you're waitressing. I mean, also, it's, it's not just the wages that we get. It's also the value society puts on the wages that we, we often take. Nurses are paid less. Childcare workers are paid less than valet car parkers. Why is that? How can that be a reality? How are we valuing care in a society as well is a big part of the argument. You know, Amory Slaughter has written about this unfinished business until society values care of children, of el elderly parents, exactly. of the home equally, then how can we really be on equal footing? Yeah, women do a majority of the non-paid labor um, in our country and in our world, let alone when they do go to work, they're not paid sufficiently. Right. And again, we have half the households now being read, uh, raised by female breadwinners, so 
So let me... The let me, impact's serious. When you have one in five hungry kids in America, yeah. and they're much more likely to be hungry if they have a female head of household, mm -hmm. we must make sure that they are paid fairly. For our children. For our whole nation and as human beings. And it's just the correct thing to do. It, I mean, they're, they're struggling. Um, I think there was a new study that four out of ten women of color were saying that they were sexually propositioned at work and, and couldn't do anything about it because they were afraid to lose their job. And that's not something that people should have to endure in the workplace to be able to feed their kids. You brought up some of the critics that came out after your Oscar speech. Let me read you one headline. I'm sure you, you remember. This is from the Washington Examiner. Uh, the headline was, Female Millionaire Claims American Women Don't Have Equal Rights. All right, here's what they wrote. The reason women on average earn less than men is not due to discrimination or a lack of equal rights, but because of the choices women make in what careers they take, what hours they work, or whether they leave the workforce for children, among other things. And it went on to say, telling people they don't have equal rights when they do doesn't help anyone. In fact, it hurts the conversation. What did you think when you read that? Well, I think it's stupid. <laughs> I mean, I think it's ridiculous. These children do not plop out of thin air. You know, someone has to take the time to have them. Um, yeah, we don't value women's, uh, women's contribution to society. That doesn't make it fair. There's a lot of ways to deal with it, but we've never looked outside the box, like flexible work schedules things that work for women so they can drop their kids off or they can pick them up later so that they can make sure their dad's home at dinner time when they're away working. There's a lot of different things that we've never even considered. Um, I, I don't know. I find it, uh, I find it crazy-making and frustrating. You know, we have a lot of elderly women who are homeless a lot of elderly women who are in poverty in their later years. And it's precisely that, that kind of thinking mm. that are, that's putting elderly women in this position. And we'll continue to until we really look starkly at this. This is a reality. And I've talked to the most um, conservative economists, and they look at all the data, and they also say there's a percentage of this that is inexplicable as anything other than pure bias. Mm. So it doesn't just take women like you championing this cause and other women. It also really takes men, and it takes powerful men doing it. Can you name men who you think are championing this cause? Well, well there's, a lot of, there's a lot of legislators, uh, legislators, I think, that are very much on board. Of course, there's celebrities, too, you know who have lent their voice and... Um, Do you think enough men are championing this cause? I really wish, at least just to start, that every man who was raised by a single mom would, would stand up and support women mm -hmm. in the future, because I think sometimes people go, oh yeah, women are paid less. Okay, so they're paid 15 cents less on the dollar. Imagine Have being taxed. 15% because of your, your sex, and then another 10% because of your race on top of that. Imagine how different your life would be, I say to these kids, if your mom had made another 40 cents on every dollar. 
you bring up poverty, and this is this is real when you look at the numbers. I mean, the latest numbers show in this country more than 14 percent, 14.2 percent of women between 18 and 64 were living in poverty. That's compared to 10.5 percent of men. So more women, uh, teenagers up through you know uh, into their 60s, are living in poverty. For you, you've talked about this from a very personal level, not growing up with a lot of money and being a single mother at the age of 20. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very hard. I mean, it's a really scary thing when you go to the grocery store and you don't know if you can buy diapers and you're you're eating macaroni and cheese just to get by and you don't know if you're going to have enough nutrients in your milk because you're nursing. That was your reality? Yeah, that was my reality. And you have well-child visits and you have co-pays. And how are you going to do this? I mean, that's hard to figure out. And you're the breadwinner. And you better figure it out and you have another mouth to feed. That's That's... That's a lot to carry, you know? And now we're looking at a time where they're talking about closing Planned Parenthood. And there'll be more young women who are parents perhaps before they're ready to be. And oftentimes, they'll be single parents. And we're not even in a society that's willing to pay them fairly. You watched your mom go through this as well. Mm-hmm. What was that like? It was, it was hard. I don't want... Look, I want men to be paid fairly too. There's certainly many men that are, you know, in poverty in America and are working hard and trying to raise their kids. It's it's not a zero-sum game. Men can do well and continue to do well and women can be right-sized. I just think everybody yeah. should, you know, have a fair shot at it. And it's very interesting that Iceland, which is so advanced mm-hmm. in, in gender, uh, equality areas are now, they've now made it mandatory that every company must report and pay equal pay. Mm-hmm. That's the first country to ever make that the law. Right. So I think many Westerners and many Americans bristle at the idea of government mandated anything. Um, it's funny. And but do you think it's needed? I mean, we're seeing Germany, for example, put quotas in place for X amount of women on corporate boards. But we also, as America forced Afghanistan and other countries to put quotas in their new constitution. So do you think that's the answer for the United States? So don't you think that's a little absurd? So so if you were uh, Miss Patricia Arquette, uh, Congresswoman, would you push for, is it it time for this country to have quotas on things like women in corporate, you know, in in top roles at corporations, on corporate boards? Yes, I say if you're looking at something that has been a systemic discriminatory practice throughout the history of the United States of America, Mm -hmm. 240 years later, women still don't have equal pay or equal rights in the United States of America. Mm -hmm. And I say, if it takes a radical move like, uh, like a mandate like that, then do it. Do whatever the hell it takes. Get this. What's beautiful about what Iceland just did is they just made such a radical move Instead of 60 years for their gender pay gap mm-hmm. to close, they're going to close it in a couple of years. And that's what people can do when they feel like it. You know, we've passed a lot of equal pay laws yeah. in the last several years in certain states. Unfortunately, it's the women who need it most in the states that need it most mm-hmm. that are getting no attention whatsoever. You're uh, the mother of two. And you have a 14-year-old girl. I'm, I'm interested in your conversations with her 
about this. Good name choice. Her name's Harlow, mm-hmm. <laughs> my last yeah. name, and my daughter's middle name. It's a beautiful name. Um, but in all seriousness, have you had these conversations with her? Does she come to you and ask you about this stuff, knowing how active you are on this front? Well, I'm her mom, so she's supposed to push back against me and individuate away. That's normal. But I'll find things that she writes as I'm going through, like, her paperwork at the end of the year, cleaning out her backpack, or, and she'll say things like, when I grow up, I want to be an activist like my mom. Or, and we will talk about certain things. And she'll even make me question certain things about feminism as well. And her take on feminism... Um, you know, they, they use this term like slut-shaming, and so she'll talk about that and, you know, how someone said something about somebody else and what is that? What is it to be empowered as a woman? And I really like that she's stepping away and examining everything herself. That's how we become individuals. Many people may not know that this is not only your passion and you've been an activist for years. You're the executive producer of a film I saw. Fascinating. It taught me a lot that mm-hmm. I did not know. Um, the new film, Equal Means Equal, and the crux is, you know, since 1982, when the Equal Rights Amendment was not ratified by enough states, it fell three states short of protecting women in the Constitution on, on, on the basis of fully equal rights. D- do you think most people even know that? I don't think most people know that, and it's funny because a lot of conservative people will say to me, women have equal rights in America, and I say, well, that's funny because... Um, Justice Scalia had said that certainly the Constitution doesn't require discrimination on the basis of sex. The question is whether it prohibits it. No, it does not. So if you have a Supreme Court justice interpreting the Constitution like Mm -hmm. that, Mm -hmm. then you start seeing all the laws and how they apply, and you start seeing that they're not applying to women like that. I mean... When you have a majority of rape victims that are female and you have rape kits with the DNA, the genetic material of rapists sitting on the shelf, not being prosecuted, not being tested for decades sometimes, sometimes thrown in the trash without ever being prosecuted or examined, you have to go, why is this happening? This is a subconscious bias. There was one little study they did in one state and they even found male rape victims had a higher likelihood of getting their rape kits tested Mm. than female rape victims. Mm. Of course, we want every rape victim to get their their kits tested. But why is this such a low priority? Literally, they're prosecuting kids for graffiti before they're dealing with rape victims. Only uh, 2% of rapists ever spend one day in jail. Your very good friend, uh, Kamala Lopez, produced this film, spent years, I think six-plus years on it. What's your goal when people walk away from seeing it? I think my goal is for people to get educated, to understand the many complicated ways that this is impacting women, and to let their, their elected leadership know that they want to see change and to bring about that change. Because otherwise nothing... nothing This is going to continue on and on, and it will just get worse because there will be more and more female-headed households. More will be driven into poverty, and it's got to stop. We're at a breaking point. So let's talk about affecting change, right, and where where this country can go from here. 
because you have said that you think, you believe that it seems okay, you've said, or accepted in the United States to discriminate against women economically. Is there anything that you are encouraged by that you're seeing change either in corporate America or in Washington? Yeah, I'm seeing a lot of corporations come out. I mean, there, a lot of people took this fair pay pledge. Yep. That Obama. Through the White House. So more and more I'm seeing that happening, you know, Apple America, Delta Airlines, big companies coming forward and doing really interesting things also. Some of them set up like pools of money where whenever they found a discriminatory pay practice, they use that pool of money to make sure that it was right. fixed. Salesforce. Mark, Mark Benioff, Benioff led a was whole a, a leader in the study that. to find to find the pay gap and then write make it make it right. Yeah, what kind of CEO wants to say, oh my God, look, I found a pay gap here, a gender pay gap. Wow, I was underpaying $3 million a year. So the, what you bring up what the White House did, and under the last administration, the Obama administration, they, they had a White House equal pay pledge. Do you think that pledges like that go far enough, or does this stuff have to be federally mandated? And do you think there's a political appetite for that? I don't think there's ever a political appetite to uh, take away cheap labor force. But it has to be the people's appetite. People have to put the pressure on their leaders. Because really, small business, which is, you know, 50 or less employees, which is pretty big, mm -hmm. is a huge lobbying uh, force in the government. And I've met with, with leaders, and they've said, you're going to have to get small business on board. Mm -hmm. Well, we have to get small business on board if, the, if that's what we need to do. We just have to make sure that our leaders understand that this must happen. And I do think it has to be mandated by government because it can't just be a few good players. So let's talk about our leaders then. I mean, uh, no secret, you were a big vocal supporter <laughs> for Hillary Clinton. All right, so this election did not go your way. However, the administration uh, is the Trump administration. And I'm interested, Patricia, if you were called by the president's team or his daughter Ivanka Trump, who has been very vocal on some of these issues. Would you go to the White House, meet with the president, help advise them? Well, I actually have a friend who is in that circle, and she asked me if I would meet with them, and I said, of course I would meet with them. Okay. I mean, I've met with a lot of Republican leaders, and some of them, listen, I'm really grateful to some of them. Some of them came in, and, and they have a lot on their plate. There's many, many things they're dealing with. A lot of them didn't even know that they had rape backlogs, and they were horrified when they found out. And they were horrified that they found out that they had thousands of untested rape kits, and many of them did something about it. And I've talked to other Republicans who say, well, I want to do this part of it, but not that part of it. And I feel like my hands are tied because when they start looking at the numbers uh -huh. and the reports, they start seeing how it is impacting their own state. So what would you say then if you were sitting at a meeting with the president on, on these issues of equality for women? What would your number one, two, and three ask be from this administration? I would ask for serious fair pay laws would be number one. Okay. Because I think that makes a big difference. I would ask him to support the Equal Rights Amendment and rolling back the deadline for the three-state solution so that we could just ratify the last three states and be done with this already. Uh, what else would I ask for? And I would ask for different legislation for all of these rape kits so this never happens again and for us to really examine how do we deal with sexual assault. 
I would also ask that they don't stop funding to Planned Parenthood. This is going to, in such a major way, adversely affect women. Let me ask what you'd like to see uh, Hillary Clinton do now. You were such a, a big supporter of hers. Would you like to see her do more on this front? It's not, I don't know. I mean, I think she's been villainized in a very unfair way, so I don't know if it helps or hurts. I think she has Mm. to make her own decision about what she wants to do with her life. But I do think the leader of tomorrow is going to be made today, because right now we are actually in a very dangerous time for our republic, for our democracy. And it's the leader of tomorrow is not going to be sitting on the sidelines right now. What encourages you now? about the leader of tomorrow, about what's happening in Washington. What do you what do you wake up encouraged by? The grassroots activism that I see all around, how how fired up people are. People are showing up at um, at all of these different meetings all over. They're sitting outside their senator's office, their house member's office. They've got signs. They're writing. They're calling all the time. Uh, I think groups are mobilizing to put people in elected positions all the way through state government, and I think that it's going to have a long-term payoff. Do you think that we're seeing now what we didn't see among some of those folks during the election, and if so, why? I think that there was a lot of missteps made, and one that I said early on was, and even though it was a pretty difficult campaign, I think with Bernie and Hillary Clinton, I think that the the Democratic Party made a big mistake in not choosing a running mate that was much more further left. I think it should have been Bernie in the vice presidential position or Elizabeth Warren. As a Democrat, where do you think the party goes from here? There's been a lot of talk about what, what, who is the next face of the Democratic Party? Who's the next leader of the Democratic Party? You even saw big divisions over it when they were electing the chair of the DNC. Yeah, so, so where, I think the, the Democratic Party is still in real jeopardy of, of dividing itself. Yeah? And I think that there's a serious uh, possibility of there being three parties unless the Democratic Party really... Um, sits down and listens to these young people because I think they're further left than the the regular Democratic Party. So who excites you in the party now then? You mentioned Elizabeth Warren, Cory Booker, someone who's getting, some folks are talking about him. I mean, mean, there's so many leaders that I really do appreciate. Maxine Waters is coming out swinging. Um, Kristen Gillibrand, I really like a lot. Jackie Spears is one of my heroes, and Carolyn Maloney. So, I don't know. There's a lot of people, but I I have a little wait and see approach because we've got a long time before we're actually sure. So looking at a presidential candidate. So, regardless of party, um, what would help all Americans is a little more unity to get things done. I don't know if you agree with that statement from the look on, on your face, but I, I wonder if you agree with that and if you believe that there is anything that could help unite this country a little bit more right now and if we need that. I don't know if it's really possible. I mean, you're talking about things that are so intrinsically important to people. If you really believe in climate change and the danger that that's going to bring, not just to us, but the whole globe, and then you have this administration abolishing, decimating the EPA, 
passing laws where they can actually dump uh, toxic waste and chemicals into the streams, uh, lowering the expectation of ve vehicles, gas mileage. That's insane. So you're not, I mean, you're not hopeful I mean, about, about, it, about I, unity right now. Is your head on in, 20, insane in 2020? Look, or at least the midterms? No, I look at these things like water, air, <laughs> the ability to grow food <laughs> as just basic human rights and basically something we should all pull together and say, my God, this is survival mode. <laughs> we can't, who wants to buy, I don't want to buy a bottle of water to drink at a restaurant, let alone water to wash my kid's body because in Flint, that's what they're having to do. This is the reality. And now they want to take away all these things that are protecting the Great Lakes, 20% of the world's fresh water. And one place where I do wonder if you can see some unity, and that is for the first time in this election, we had both the Democratic nominee and the Republican nominee supporting mandated paid parental or family leave. Now, the word choice was interesting that, that President Trump used in his address to the Joint Session of Congress. He said family leave. Now, his platform during the campaign was maternity leave, but using family leave got a lot of attention because that would mean dads and moms. This is a cause that his daughter Ivanka has championed. Are you encouraged, and do you think we're going to see some bill that, that makes sure that new parents get paid to have time off with their new babies get through Congress? Well, I hope so, because we're one of very few countries that doesn't offer that to people. Um, Almost the only, all, among the only ones. I mean, that would be a great, yeah, exactly. That would be a great move forward, and I, I would love to see that. You think we will? Do you think the momentum is there? I don't know. I mean, I, I, can't, I can't tell. I do know that certain Repub Republican lawmakers have voiced their opinion that mm -hmm. they support that in the past. Marco Rubio and some others. Yeah. And, and I've met with several who off the record have told me that they do. Hmm. But we're concerned that maybe their constituents wouldn't support them in that. So we hit briefly on it, but the second shift, the so-called second shift, and that is the work at home mm -hmm. that many women do in addition to their, their full-time jobs. And many men do this as well. I have a partner, a husband, who does equal work truly mm -hmm. at work and at home. But a lot of women don't have that partner. Um, Melinda Gates recently wrote about this. And she wrote, economists estimate the value of the unpaid work that women do is roughly equal to China's GDP. And that's not just here in the U.S. This is around, around the world. And it's much worse in many developing economies, by the way. Yeah. Um, how do we convince society that that matters a lot so that our daughters, you and I are both moms of girls, don't get held back more and more by this? I think it's also a good thing to, uh, to promote healthy relationships. I think if people start to value that, they'll see each other in a different light. Nobody wants to be taken for granted. And I think it's part of a healthy relationship to appreciate when somebody is doing something like that. It's funny because a lot of times the same people that I argue about fair pay are the people that are being cared for by their older daughter who's taken off the time, you know, in their life to take care of this this elderly ill person. So I find it very strange. But Did, Were you lucky enough to have that in your... I mean, have you had an equal partner? I have had... My partner right now is 
is very equal, but also I'll cook, I'll do many traditional sort of female things, but he's very appreciative of, yeah. of them. Yeah. I don't feel taken for granted and he'll do the dishes, you know, there's a trade-off of things, but I'm definitely in a privileged position, but I've taken care of my sick parents. Mm -hmm. I've stayed home to do that. Mm -hmm. um, let me wrap up with a few things I'd like to hit on uh, your sister Alexis. I'm so sorry for your loss. You were actually um, scheduled to come on our show yeah. right, when, mm -hmm. right, when, right when she died. Mm -hmm. You lost your sister Alexis less than a year ago. She was an actress and she mm -hmm. was a champion for transgender rights. Mm -hmm. Do you feel a sense of responsibility at all to carry on her work? Um... I don't know, love is like a light, you know? So, I definitely, you know, love Alexis. What did and she- And I, I'm really blown away by Alexis's uh, courage because to be a trans woman in America is a very dangerous thing. I think in the whole world it's a very dangerous thing. I mean, every, Every seems like every week we have another trans woman murdered, misgendered, um, especially trans women of color are in a very precarious situation. They're um, most likely to live in deep poverty of any group, mm -hmm. living on under $10,000 a year. And, you know, that's something I'd really like to see change. I'd like companies to start making sure that they hire more trans people because... The way it is right now is a lot of trans women are really kind of cast off to the side and they have to make a living in the sex industry or, you know, you don't see them often at the, at the front of a business, you know, mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. as your realtor. I, didn't, I never thought about it that way. But of course I didn't have a sister who mm -hmm. went through this. What did Alexis teach you? Well, Alexis is, the, as far as I know, the only artist who had a really successful career as a male actor and then said, you know what, I'm transgender and I need to live my life and my truth this way. It was a huge gamble and we had conversations about walking away from this opportunity, you know, people won't give you these chances, they won't see you the same way anymore. Alexis knew that she was kicking a door open. Alexis knew that that was going to cost her greatly personally. So, I mean, yeah, I can have conversations about equal pay, but I'll never be as brave as that. And I think there's a lot of people, a lot of trans people don't have uh, a lot of figures. More and more they do. I mean, you have RuPaul's Dragways. You have, you know, Orange is the New Black. You have Laverne Cox. We have a lot of great artists now, uh, transparent, great shows. Yeah. But still, um, it's new terrain, and, and it's a very dangerous world to be a trans, trans person in America. We have kids losing the right to go to the bathroom. So what's your fight going forward? Well, I'm fighting on every area. <laughs> what's, what's, what's your next? What's That's your next? I mean, you're a young woman. What's your next? Jeez. Your next? No pressure. <laughs> Round two. Ding. 
Um, what's my next fight? Where do you take this fight from here? You're here speaking at the UN, right? Yeah. You're very vocal. Mm -hmm. um, when, when, when Harlow is, is old and telling the world about her mom. I think part of it also is supporting other leaders in their, in their, what they're doing and what, and echoing them and shining a light on what they have to say and amplifying what they have to say. I would love to know from you, um, what is your lesson for new working moms out there? New, you know, parents trying to figure this whole thing out. You've done it's it. It's a nightmare. <laughs> Good luck to you. <laughs> Hope you figure it out. Um, I mean, it's, it's like you carry around a lot of guilt, I think, because you feel like, oh my God, am I putting enough time into parenting? Am I putting enough time into my work? And I want my work to be high quality. Am I putting enough of myself into the world to try to make the world a better place for my daughter and for my daughter's daughter and my son's and his children? Um, so I think you always just feel like you're doing a half-assed job at everything. But I think part of the lesson as a parent is to show your kids we're mortal, we're flawed, we're doing the best we can. Hopefully if we're coming from the right place, they see that. And that they also will not be perfect. And it's hard to, to do all of these things. On uh, your day job, being an actress, you've said there's a lot of pressure on actresses to look a strange and unrealistic <laughs> way. You're not supposed to age. Is that yeah. Hollywood in 2017? Still? In general, yeah, I think so. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Why? Why, why is it so backward? Well, I mean, I think we all love youth. It's very beautiful. And uh, a lot of the stories that have been told in the past are the stories of falling in love, a boy meets a girl, very typical stories like that. And um, I just don't think in the past a lot of great parts were written for women. More were written in television uh, than in film. But I'm hoping that that changes. There's still such a minority of women behind the lens mm -hmm. and writing or whose material even gets made. But hopefully the more that that pushes forward, the more we'll see different stories of women. What is the role you've always wanted to play that you haven't had the opportunity to yet? Or the film you've always wanted to make? You've already helped, you know, executive produced one on equal pay, mm -hmm. equal rights. I don't have one no? story that I want to tell. I think if I did, it would be done already. I would, I would make it in my house <laughs> with a, you know, a iPhone. I was just going to say with an iPhone. So my final question, who's your hero? Uh, I want to say my mom, my dad, and Alexis. I mean, I have a lot of heroes, but I mean, I feel like these are very pivotal people. That have, uh, people that I just adore. And my kids... And my friends, I, I think, and my boyfriend, he's really great. <laughs> he's the best. Patricia Arquette, thank you very much. Thanks for Thanks. the work you're doing. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in to this edition of Boss Files. You can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Poppy Harlow CNN.
Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.